Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Well, every time we start a new series, which we are this morning, uh, oh, by the way, I don't know if you didn't hear last week's uh, uh, Dr. Daniel Brown, you'll want, you'll want to hear that. It was really good for our church. Uh, and, and then again, uh, Shannon and I had lunch with him afterwards. He was just so amazed to be in a church like this. And I don't say this to, to brag on us. I say this to, be, to thank you for continuing to be responsive to Jesus. Uh, in, the, in the way he was in a prayer room, he said, it's not very often I get into spaces like that where, where I come in, I'm already prayed up and I go to another level level. It's not often where there's a house of worship like this. And so there are so many good things that are happening because you're responding and giving Jesus your yes. So thank you. Well done. Keep doing it. Um, But in this series, uh, I try usually to, to begin to give you an understanding of why I feel led to go into a certain series, why I feel that we're to talk about something, that kind of thing. It's not some random thing that we like pick a sermon off the internet or or like pastors share it on some great sharing site of how the ways that you can pray or uh, preach or anything like that. But it started this past some, summer when, uh, and it's been percolating around in me for uh, since that time and probably even before that, or I've been coming increasingly concerned and bothered by how the relationships in our culture are seemingly becoming more fractured and divided at every level. We watch politicians of both stripes, every stripe, seeking to stoke every division or every difference and turn it into division for their political gain. So often we join right in, it's not just a them problem, In our social media, we are less careful about what we laugh at, post or repost, hateful comments and memes that mock other people or those with a differing position than us on climate change or economics or immigration or social issues of the day. So I'm just going to muck around in this for the next number of weeks because it's not good. It's not good. I've been bothered how we've seemingly bought the lie that we can only love people that we agree with. And it's not just out there. This fall, I was deeply disturbed to watch men who call themselves ministers of the gospel sit in a room with two or three hundred of them and mock and deride female preachers generally, and Beth Moore specifically, telling her to just stay home, that she was not welcome in any pulpit. And they mocked not because of her preaching, but but simply because she was a woman. In our city, I'm bothered that we are isolated and lonely and increasingly so. Time and time again, and statistic after statistic tells us that Metro Vancouver is one of the loneliest places in North America. We see the, and on top of that, we see the confusion of gender dysphoria being pushed to the forefront in our culture as we struggle with identity and finding our place. And then on top of all that, financially, we live in one of the most expensive places, not just in Canada, but in the globe. And then, 
in our families. We battle at staying together. Sometimes we just battle, but that's another story. Sometimes we battle at staying together figuratively where we're, to, we're still in the same house, but we've long since drifted apart. Other times it's literally happened and families are breaking up and falling apart and husbands and wives struggling to make sure that their behavior lines up with their words. And It's challenging to walk through parenting today. It's always been challenging to be a parent. And the people who parented kids in the 1960s say amen to that. But there is something to the way that our culture has so drastically changed, and even in my lifetime, where parents have to deal with not just the usual issues of adolescence, but increasingly so in a world of 24-7 connectivity to peers, some of them very negative peers, to pornography, and an alternate online world filled with things called TikTok. And if you don't know what that is, that's all right. I know what it is. I found out. It's Instagram. I'm not on TikTok, so don't look to follow me there. Instagram and Snapchat, all this different alternate world, and we're trying to figure out how to parent in a world that's rapidly changing. And our relationships are often frayed because of it. And then young people and people that are single, a deep relationship is becoming increasingly challenging as we live in a hookup culture. Whereas I read in a CBC article this week that it is expected that women beginning in junior high even will be asked to send nudes to boys that are interested in them as seemingly a normal part of getting to know you. In a sexualized and pornified culture, we see apps like Tinder that reduce people and relationships to sexual commodities to be used rather than people to be loved. And in all of this, we are watching our culture generally more and more, and individuals that we know and love, and perhaps even you or the person beside you, being crushed under the weight of all of what's going on. And then the weight of our own busyness, our, the division and isolationism that we are fed, divorce and broken families and hatred and confusion and leaving us struggling more and more with not just once in a while, and the younger and seeing mental health issues becoming more and more prevalent, starting younger and younger, with the resulting challenges of identity and frustration and relational brokenness and loneliness and anxiety and depression, and how many of you are feeling encouraged so far? <laughs> fighting for space, fighting to breathe, hoping for more, hoping for change. And what if, though, what if the church, what if the people of God could model a better way what if we could lead the culture instead of following the culture? What if we could show a way forward of hope? What if we could show that it's possible to live together, to love one another in a real, real way? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you're that you love us deeply, that you love our city, you love our culture, you, you love the people of, that live in this culture, I should say, you love each and every one. Lord, I pray that you would help us, give us ears to hear for ourselves, not for someone else. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.
How many of you love being challenged? And your response often is, and someone says, you can't do that, and you say, try me. Some of you are like that in the room. Some of you are just the ones who sit back and wind someone up and watch them do it. I was in my, I think it was 18 or 19, and one of my brothers lived in Alberta at the time, and, and he said it takes about 12 hours to get here because I was driving out to go to a, a family wedding in Alberta. And he says it takes about 12 hours to get here. You think so? Challenge accepted? And so that night I, I left and I left after work, uh, after working a 12 hour day and my sister was with me as well and we drove and, and drove through the night and everything like that and when she went to sleep I drove faster. Because uh, if you're falling asleep, my theory was I should drive so fast that I'm scared because it'll keep me awake. That's uh, adolescent uh, uh, reasoning. It's uh, my brain not fully developed, I believe. but. And so when I got there and I knocked on his door around four in the morning, uh, he opened the door and instead of greeting me with, oh, great to see you, he said, what are you doing here? You idiot, as only a brother can say, you idiot. It's only like 10 and a half hours. I know, isn't that amazing? It was so good. A couple of times my sister woke up like, we are, why are we going so fast? I'm like, go back to sleep. We're gonna go fast when your car kind of like feels like it's taking air, it's super fun. This is really good. And then in the area of relationships, um, saying there was a time where I said I loved Shanda, but eventually you have to prove it. Oh, it's good. By putting a ring on it. Because it's all about talk until that moment in my mind. You can have a level of commitment. You can have a, a level of love. But there's something else when you stand as we did in this very room, just over in that corner when the stage was over in that corner, stood in that corner on July 11th, 1992, and I exchanged rings and we said our vows and I sang I Will Be Here by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Look that up. It was amazing. I had to prove it. Up to that point, it was just words. And we have sayings like, put your money where your mouth is. Some of you are pretty poor because of that. We want people to back up. <laughs> you got that. We want people to back up what they say, to live what they believe, to prove it. When I was in my early, mid-30s, uh, I led a, Shanda and I led a, a young adult discipleship group, and they used to talk about old man strength to me. And I, I think that now I was thinking I was like 33 and you were thinking I was like old man strength. Wow, this is amazing. And they would, they would always challenge me and so I'd have to prove it every once in a while. And one time we were doing a baptism and, and they decided that they would try and rebaptize me. Three of them came at me. These are young men, 18, 19 years old, strong guys they came at me and tried to get me to be baptized and within about three to four minutes there were three boys running away some without their shoes torn shirts all kinds of stuff and i got up with old man strength and proved it but that doesn't always work there was a young man that the next year had heard tale of said story and he says you want to wrestle me 
And I was, this is when it was okay to do it, I guess. I don't know. But I, did, I said, sure. They were like, don't do it, Art. Don't do it, Art. He's got old man strength. But here's the thing. Art didn't tell me or anybody else that he was a state finalist in Fresno, California <laughs> in wrestling. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just go with this. And he comes at me and all of a sudden I felt, <coughs> and I was like, stop. And for a week I could, I was just like moving around. I couldn't move my neck and, and Art just smiled. So I didn't prove it that day. I got Art back though, but I can't share it here. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I had to prove it, but I didn't do so well. And here Jesus, and we're going to look at, and you're going, where is this going? You can turn to John chapter 13, where Jesus talked about how important it is to prove it. How important it is to prove it. It's easy to have words, but it's more, it's more important. It's in much more productive to prove it. And what am I talking about? Jesus had been with his disciples for about three and a half years, and he was having a final dinner with them when they had no idea what was to come. But this was the Last Supper, the famous painting by Leonardo. I was going to say DiCaprio, but that's a different guy. Um, you know, problem of growing up in this world right now. Leonardo, we'll just, Da Vinci, who, drew, who, who painted it. I was going to say he drew it on his iPad, but it's not him. But for three and a half years, and they were having this final dinner, and, and Jesus was talking to them, but really important things. And when people are near the end, they say the most important things that you need to listen to. And so Jesus was leading into a, a, a talk that would go on for three or four chapters. And he started in this uh, very, very important account written by John, who was one of the eyewitnesses, one of the guys that was there at the table. And in verse 34 of John chapter 13, it says this, A new command I give you, love one another. Everybody say, love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If, that's uh, capitalized by me, if you love one another. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. If you are my disciple, love one another. Show it, believe it, prove it. And what is the proof of being a follower of Jesus? Love one another. This is how people will know. But then Jesus doesn't leave it there. He doesn't just say simply love one another because that is open to interpretation. Some of us will love someone with the right hand of fellowship and help them to grow and move forward. Some of us will love our neighbor in a different way than he might expect. Love one another. Jesus sets the bar. He sets the qualifier. He sets the standard high. He says, by love one another as I have loved you. He says, pay it forward. In the same way that you've received it, pay it forward to the people around you. How many of you have ever been in a, in a, in a line at Starbucks or Tim Hortons or someplace like that where you get up to the till or you get up uh, to the person who's going to take your order or pay for your order, and they say, it's okay. The person that was in front of you paid for it. Has anybody ever experienced that? It's a wonderful thing. The thing that you're supposed to do is not pocket the money and say, it's a good day, Jesus. Thank you. You're supposed to pay it 
forward so that the next person gets surprised. Some of you just learned something today that's going to help your life, particularly if it was your spouse. Pay it forward. Your wife's behind you in the next car. Pay it forward. Maybe even initiate it. But that's what Jesus is talking about. Even as I have loved you, so you also must love one another. It began with me showing and revealing my love to you, so it empowers you to love other people. In the same way that you have received, give to others. Freely you have received, freely give. It's so critical. How does Jesus love? way better than me. He loves unconditionally. That means no matter what you do, he still loves. He loves unceasingly. He never stops. We sang it this morning. He never stops. He never stops. He never stops loving. He never stops pouring out. He loves sacrificially. He gave himself. He gave of himself. He gave his very life. He loves sacrificially. You will see. How will you see his love for you? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed his love for us when we did not deserve it, when we spat in his face, when we wanted nothing to do with him, when we didn't know where we were going, when we didn't know how to move ahead. He loved us. He walks for us. He walks with us. He loves us when we felt accepted. He loved us when we walked away from him. When you've lost everything, when you're at your lowest, he still loves you. When you're at the highest peak of everything working out, he loves you. He, he didn't make it conditional upon whether you've been good enough, whether you figured things out enough, whether you were uh, did your devotions this morning. He loves you. He loves you. And that's the very foundation of how well you will love one another. And when I see people, including myself, having a problem with loving other people, it tells me that I have a problem receiving the love of Jesus. Essentially, Jesus is laying down the gauntlet. He's saying, prove it if you're a follower of me. And he doesn't mean that in a, in a, in a mean way. He says, by this, others will uh, know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone say, if, if you love one another. Let's go a little deeper. Not only how Jesus loved, but who did he love? He got in trouble regularly for loving people that the religious people of his day wanted nothing to do with. He loved the woman caught in adultery. He loved the tax collector who was cheating other people. He loved the people that were far from God and had wanting nothing to do with God for all intents and purposes. He loved the immoral. He loved the people that everybody else had written off. Who was the one another that Jesus said? He loved those who were embracing him. He loved those who were rejecting him. He, on, the, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved everyone that he saw. He loved the unlovable according to what the culture would say. And so when Jesus says, hey, love one another, that's what he's telling us to do. He's saying, Craig, will you love those who love you and those who hate you? It's easy to love the people that you can get something back from. It's easy to love your children most of the time. It, 
all the time. It's easy to love people who give you money. It's easy to love people who are always kind to you. It's much more challenging and much more needing of the love of God inside of us to love the one that hates us, to love the old, to love the college student, to love the daughter that's walking away from us, to love the hypocrite, to love the adulterer. That's the one another. To love the agnostic, to love the atheist that mocks you, to love the liberal and to love the conservative, to love every culture, to love every people group, to love the people that agree with you, that disagree with you, to love gay people, to love straight people, to love sinners, to love saints, to love enemies, to love neighbors, to love the orphan, to love the widow, as I have loved you. He raises the bar pretty high. He makes it only possible by having first an encounter with his love because his love begins to change you on the inside so that what flows out of you is different. The way that you look at the people around you is different. The way you talk about your workmate is different. The way that you talk about the pol political leaders is different. The way that you talk about your, your boss is different. The way that you talk about your spouse is different. The way that you love is different because you've had an encounter with a love that you didn't deserve. You've had an encounter with a love that's transforming you. You're having an encounter with a love that's breaking shame. You're having an encounter with a love that's empowering you to change. Love one another. Notice the clearest way, the clearest evidence to prove it moment that you're a Christ follower is if you love one another. Not if. The marker is not if we have a great building. The marker of being a Christ follower is not how many verses you can recite. The marker of being a Christ follower is not if you never make a mistake sexually. The marker of being a Christ follower is not if you give $5,000 more than the person side, beside you. The marker of being a Christ follower is, that, is not that we never sin. The marker of being a Christ follower is not that we never struggle with anxiety. The marker of being a Christ follower is not that we prophesy and speak in tongues only. The, the marker of being a Christ follower is not only if you pray all night. The marker of being a Christ follower is not just that you uh, go to church every Sunday. All of those could be really, really good, and most of them are. But in all of these, to varying degrees, Jesus said this. He died. He resurrected. He gave himself. He said, if you want to be known as a follower of me, love one another. The greatest evangelistic tool that you can ever do is to love people when they've been unloving to you. When people stand back and say, I don't understand how you can love that way. I have a friend right now that is going through a terrible thing where he, he walked in after just a very, very short time being part of a church and some, they'd had some conversations and he was working as part of the staff. And in a moment, he walked in and he walked out fired and had lost his job because he said, well, we don't believe that you fit here. We don't like what, who you are and, and you need to leave and don't come back. That's not the way of the gospel. 
You can disagree, and maybe we can even uh, part ways, but it's not de uh, demeaning people. It's not devaluing people. It's not putting people down. It's about saying, if Jesus is inside of me, then what comes out of me needs to look a better than the culture, a little bit better than the cultural around me, because he who has begun a good work in me is faithful and will complete it through me and in me. Let's look again at what it means to be a follower. See, Jesus died, buried, rose again, and he, after he had said this, he went through that whole process of the crucifixion and then his resurrection. And then he said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes, and there's this incredible moment where the church goes from about 120 people to over 3,000 people coming to faith in one day. And then you think, now how are they going to do it? This love one another thing. What did it look like? And they saw miracles happening. They saw incredible things happening. But let's look at this because it's important. We're laying a foundation for the rest of this series. Every day they continued to meet together. Let's say together. In the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Let's say together. Say it again. Say together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There were miracles. There were salvations. There were healings happening. People were being impacted as they surrendered their lives to Jesus. But from its earliest days, from its first day, the church was marked by the love of one another. The church was marked by people who cared for one another. The church was marked by people who supported one another. The church was marked by people who gathered together that loved the church. Let me just say this. You're here today, so if you, if you meet somebody who says, I love Jesus, but I hate, it, I, I hate the church, can I just ex extend to you that Jesus said he loves the church and he gave himself up for the church and, and the church is called the bride of Christ. So you tell me, how can you love Jesus and hate his wife? The church may have issues, but the church is the bride of Christ and he's purifying it and he's making it what it should be. And, and he's taking broken, messed up people like you and like me and working us through a process. When we blow it, he disciplines us. When we're not doing so well, he helps us to move on. But the church is God's messenger. The church is God's hope in the world. The church is the proclaimer of Jesus and we need the church. We need the church. Can we do better? Everybody said, amen. Yes, we can. They met together at public gatherings. They met together in private home, they, homes. They ate together. They prayed together. They loved one another. The power of loving one another as Christ loved us cannot be overstated. It changes everything. It changes every relationship if we will allow it. It changes the people that are loving. It changes the people that are being loved. And it gives hope to a world that is looking for love. So when we love, it's not just so we can feel warm, uh, cuddly little feelings. It's not so that we can help someone's life be better. It actually points the way to something is fundamentally changed on the inside, that there has been an encounter with a force, with a power, with a person named Jesus that has loved you and is enabling you to love. So when Jesus says, love as I have loved you, you, you we need to understand that it is a message of the gospel and it brings hope to the world around us but it can be easily pushed aside. In the busyness of our culture, it was easily pushed, pushed aside in many of the early churches that were established. 
One church had a lot of disorder in it and was elevating out-of-control expression of spiritual gifts, the church in Corinth. And they were a very spirit-filled or a charismatic church, seemingly like ever, anything goes. It seems they had forgotten the very purpose of God with Jesus that changed everything. And then Paul speaks to them and says, hey, it's not about you just getting the mic and, or being the one that's going to dominate everything. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13. You might hear this at, at weddings. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels or of angels, but I do not have love, I am a resounding gong. In other words, I make a lot of noise, but don't accomplish much. He goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all kinds of mysteries and, and knowledge, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. What I do is nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is at the center of the Christian faith. Love for men, love for God, love for the people around us, love for our enemies, love for people who despitefully use us, love for people who curse us out, love for people who malign us, and our response must be love. Our response must be, I love you even when you don't love me. And our response cannot be about lifting our way higher and saying, well, they attack me, I'm going to attack back. The way of Jesus is the way of love. The way of Jesus is not to, to mock and to, and, and to get in into the whole thing of the world about living how the world does, speaking how the world does. The way of Jesus is to love one another. Another church in the region of Galatia in the New Testament, which is near present, which is in present-day Turkey, was not a anything goes church. It was a rules and regulation church. It was going through some serious issues where they wanted to make external issues like circumcision and keeping up certain laws essential to salvation. And Paul writes to that church and redirects them. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing, somebody say the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Some of us stop at the end. The only thing that counts is faith. If I have right belief, then I'm okay. But let me tell you this, just like Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And here Paul is underlining it again. The only thing that counts is faith that expresses itself in love, not expresses itself in critiquing, not expresses itself in judging, not expresses itself in maligning, not expresses itself in name calling, not expresses itself in making us or ourselves look better. But the only thing, the only thing, the only thing is faith changing from the inside and expressing love on the outside. The only thing that counts. And when we surrender our life to Jesus, the next step is that love will be flowing out of us because the love of God is working inside of us. If love is not flowing out of us, I question whether the love of God is being allowed to work inside of us. And we need a love encounter, a fresh love encounter. And Apostle Paul writes to, we talked about the Corinthian church, we talked about the Galatian church, and now the, the church in Colossae in which is now south, southern Turkey, they also were struggling with performing and doing a bunch of rules and regulations to, to prove that they were Christ followers. And he says, no, no, no. No, no, no. 
In Colossians 3.11, it says this, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. I have a new life in Christ. I have a new power source that enables me to live and be differently. I have the ability to love differently and better. I have the ability to change. I have the ability to become what Christ has called me to become. It's such a hopeful phrase. There is, the gospel power is not limited to just to the people that have it all figured out, that know everything that they should do, that uh, the rich, the powerful, the right connected, the right family upbringing, whatever you are at, wherever you come from, whatever your story, again, we're reminded that the gospel is powerful and life-changing, the good message or the good news of Jesus that comes, and when we surrender our life to him, he begins to transform us from the inside out. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are single or married. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you've got it all together or it's all falling apart. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're an immigrant or a citizen. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're struggling with anxiety or solid as a rock. All that matters is Christ is all that matters. He starts the work. He does the work inside of you as you allow him to. He begins to transform you from the inside out. If anyone be in Christ, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You might have never learned how to love, but as you allow Jesus to love, you can begin to love the unlovable. You can begin, first of all, to receive love and then to begin to give love. We need the life-changing love of Jesus. Whatever the label that has seemed to define you, whatever the label that has defined your relationship, your future, none of it matters. Christ is all that matters. The lies that others speak about you, it doesn't matter. That allows you to just, <sighs> Christ is all that matters. The money that you have in your bank account, the limits of your past, his love is all that matters. But what difference does all this make in relationship? And here's the bottom line that I want us to go away with. That the love of Jesus changes the one so that the one can love the other. We can never truly love one another well until we've received the love of Jesus well. And look at the verses that follow. Jesus work in, works inside of you so that his love can flow through you. Verse 12, 13, and 14 of that chapter 3 of Colossians. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive each other, others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds all us all together in perfect harmony. How many of you would want to be in that kind of a family? How many of you would want to be in that kind of a church? How many of you would want to be in that kind of a marriage? It's possible. It's possible. It's possible that because of Jesus, we can model a new way. We can model for our culture. We can model for the marriages around us. We can model for the families that's struggling near us. 
We can model for the people who are watching our Facebook posts. We can model for our children. We can model for our friends a new way. And we can begin to shift things beginning with the one, ourselves. And over the next few weeks, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of these three verses and push, out, push into what it means to love one another, talk about how we can love one another better, and see what might happen if we love one another as Christ has loved us. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but how did a religion called Christianity spring from a small sect of Judaism in the corner of the Middle East and in 2,000 years has encircled the globe where a third of the population of the world claims to follow Jesus. How was that even possible? It wasn't through armies. It wasn't through power. Christianity was at its best when it lived at Jesus' last and greatest command, love one another. As I have loved you, so also love one another. In the New Testament, uh, a writer or a professor, John Morrison, writes this. How will that happen? He says, the Christian community invites you in the Roman times, and it explodes out of this seemingly infertile ground of a, being persecuted in a small nation in the Middle East. It says, there was this community that invited you, which made you an equal with all other members of that community. It didn't give you any disadvantages. On the contrary, even the lowliest slave received personal dignity and status. Their care for each other was born out of love. People are taken out of isolation. If they are hungry, they know where to go. If they are sick, there is an elder who will lay hands on them to heal them. What the Christians offered probably as well or better than anybody else in the Roman world was a sense of belonging. And in a culture like ours that I enumerated at the beginning, we need this kind of culture again. The love of Jesus changes the one so that the one can love the other. Imagine what our relationships would look like in 2020. Imagine what a church, a marriage, your family would look like if we lived this concept and took it out of the realm of theory into our everyday life. It's easy to preach about things that are all fluffy up here. It's a lot more uncomfortable to preach right there. But I'm okay. Are we going to be okay? How many of you want a culture that's a little more loving, with a lot more love in it, a lot more mercy, a lot more kindness, a lot more gentleness? Everyone wants to be one anothered. Everyone wants to feel included in a community characterized by a one another spirit. The one another of Jesus appeals to something that lives in the soul of every one of us. Our desire to be included, recognized, and loved. Think of this. Imagine a world where people were skeptical of what we believed, but envious of how well we treated and loved 
one another. Imagine a world where unbelievers were, were not anxious to hire, to work for, to work with, to live next door to Christians because of how well we one another one another and how well we one another them as well. What a beautiful picture. And once upon a time, it was so. And once upon a time, the one another culture of the world stood in sharp contrast to the bite and devour one another culture of the world. And within that context, pagans who had no idea who God was found the church to be somewhat irresistible. Not because of the music they played, not because of the buildings they were in, not because of any other thing than an irresistible love for one another. And it was especially true for women, for children, the vulnerable, and the economically disadvantaged. Imagine what it would look like if that were the case again. In a world that's a cesspool of hatred and division and mockery, if the church raised the bar, responding to the love of Jesus and said, we will love one another. Somehow we'll muck our way through this with Jesus' help. We will love one another better. That's a church I want to be a part of. I don't want it to be, I don't want us to have a church that just has good services, and we do, that does all kinds of things, that are fun, and to lose the very heart of the gospel. You will know, they will know you are my disciples because of the love you have for one another. What was true then can and should be true again. We should be the best neighbors. If you're a Christ follower, you should be the best employer. You should be the best employee. You should be the best friend, the best partner, the best coach in the community. And not because we're trying so hard and we're, but as I've been loved by Jesus and received that, I can give that same love to someone else. Freely I've received, freely I give. And watch what the love of God does in us and through us. I invite you to stand, and I'm going to close out here. Look at that. Just invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. Just want to give privacy to the people around you. In this moment, as we've talked about the life-changing, life-transforming power of Jesus, everyone, I invite you to bow your head and close your eyes to give privacy to the people around you. In every moment like this, in every moment like this, we want to give people the opportunity to respond. We want to give people the opportunity to respond to Jesus. So if you're here and you've never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, and you say, Craig, I need a brand new start. I need to invite Jesus to be the forgiver and leader of my life. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, make you come to the front or anything like that. But I just want to pray with you and agree with you and, and help you to find your way back to experience the love of Jesus and to 
surrender your life to Jesus and say, I need to make Jesus the forgiver and leader of my life. If that's you, can I see you just raise your hand in the room and I want to pray with you, pray for you, my left. Yeah. Secondly, if you're here and you're saying, Craig, in this season, I need some relational help from heaven into one another's. There's some things that are not in the order that I want them to have to be. There are places that I can't go in certain relationships. There are even relationships that are estranged. There are some that are absolutely broken. There's some I don't know how to move forward in. And in this season, I posture myself to say yes to the adjustment of Jesus in the one another's. If that's you, just raise your hands as we step into this. Just raise your hand all over the room. We'll put it up high for a moment. We're going to say, I need help in the one another's might be on the hand of the other on the hand of someone else and how they're responding you're might be a workplace thing you're not you're trying to figure out how to work it through but all the hands all over the room were saying Jesus we need your help to love as you have loved us to show the world a better way to show the world the way of the gospel to show the world that Jesus not only saves but he changes our life today that his power is working in us and so Lord we acknowledge our absolute desperate need for the power of heaven in our one another's lord that we will show people the reality of jesus not just with our words but with how we love well how we honor well how we encourage well how we lift up well how we refuse to gossip how we refuse to backbite how we refuse to do anything other than love as we have been loved in the strong name of jesus amen and amen join with me as we sing we hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.